I'd like for you to turn to the book of Exodus chapter 4. A definition of redemption is to purchase with a view to freedom so that the redemption that Exodus is, um, uh, refers to is a purchase with a view to freedom. Now there is a principle. Y'all have that written down? <laughs> there, is a, there is a basic principle, and it is this, that you get the New Testament, in the New Testament, the principles of the Christian life, and you get in the Old Testament the pictures of those principles. So that what you have in principle, you have in illustration or pictured in the Old Testament. And when you grasp that, or that grasp you, the Old Testament comes alive and means so much more because as you look back on it from a, a uh, New Testament perspective, you can see how that in the Old Testament there were these types and prophecies and there were these pictures of that which was yet to come. More than prophecy but pictures of how it's going to happen when the final redemption occurs in Christ. And if you lived in the Old Testament, you didn't, but if you had, then you would be able to see into the future as to what this um, redemption is like, what it's about, its, um, its import, its impact, its principle. So we have the principles of the Christian life, in the New Testament, and we have the pictures of those principles in the Old Testament. Now let me give you a little bit of background, just kind of catch us up. Um, Moses is on the backside of the desert, and he's been there for 40 years getting ready for one great event, the Exodus, the redemption. And God is doing a work in his life on the backside of the desert. I said last week, if you had a man that had the best education, he had the best connections, he had the friends in high places, he had the best background, and he spent 40 years out in the wilderness taking care of sheep, you'd say, what a waste. Man's wasting his life. Wasn't a waste. As a matter of fact, God was just shaping him and getting him ready for this one great event. I suppose that one of the big questions of life is this. Are you ready for God? Are you willing for God to take all the time He needs to get you ready for one great thing? Are you willing for God to take all the time He needs to prepare you for some one event that He had planned in eternity past? And now it's time for Moses to go to Egypt and effect this redemption. And there's this final cram course that that he's putting him through. We're not exactly sure how many days it took this elapsed in this cram course, but you'd think after 40 years he'd have him ready, but he's getting him ready to go and he's cramming him with last-minute instructions. Who has not gotten ready for a big test and uh, takes a lot of cramming at the last minute. I still literally wake up from nightmares you know, of some test I'm about to have, getting ready to cram for that. And so we got a cram course going on here in the 
life of Moses, getting him ready for this event after 40 years of shaping in the wilderness. I think we'll get the impression here that what's going to happen here, what is happening, is something very, very important and very strategic. Let me say this kind of parenthetically. If you're willing for God to take all the time it's necessary for you, for Him to get you ready for a task, and you're ready to go and you're obedient to go in God's timing, on God's terms, there is no limit to what God can do. Now, um, there are really four lessons crams him in here in this um, fourth chapter, beginning at verse 6. And I made the outline of this and turned it into uh, the secretary, and I started filling out the outline and discovered that probably it's going to take longer than the time that I have allowed to, uh, to get it all in. I hope I can. There is a lesson here for, in the first place concerning the power of God. Concerning the power of God. Let's read reading verse 6. And the Lord furthermore said to him, Now put your hand into your bosom. He's talking about putting his hand inside of his, his cloak, cloak, his outer garment, like you would put your hand inside your shirt or your coat. So he put his hand into his bosom, and when he took it out, behold, his hand was leprous like snow. Then he said, Put your hand into your bosom again, so he put his hand into his bosom again, and when he took it out, his bosom, out of his bosom, behold, it was restored like the rest of his flesh. And it shall come about that if they will not believe you or heed the witness of the first sign, they may believe the witness of the last sign. And the first sign was, the, uh, was with the rod. It shall, they may believe the witness of the last sign. We'll talk about that in just a moment. Now, just in case Moses had not learned the lesson of the power of God, he gives him one final lesson concerning his power. He told him to put his hand inside of his bosom, and when he pulled his hand out, it was leprous. There was no disease in that world more terrible than leprosy. Lepers were looked upon, Josephus said, as dead men. They were the living dead, these lepers. And what he found out when he pulled out his hand, what he had before him, was evidence of death. He had the sentence of death upon him. Now there are some characteristics of leprosy that stand in stark contrast to what happened here. In the first place, leprosy in that world was a slow, progressive kind of death. It started out with a few little white patches in the palm of the hand or on the earlobe. And it might take months, even years, for leprosy to run its full course. It was a slow, painful, progressive disease. Secondly, it was incurable. There was no cure for leprosy. And when you read in the Bible, there is no suggestion, no mention of treatment or remedy. So if, arrest, if leprosy cured itself or somehow was, was arrested, it was because of a divine miracle. There was no cure for it. It was terminal and incurable. And third, each time leprosy is referred to in the Scripture when it's healed, 
It never refers to leprosy as being healed in Scripture. It always refers to leprosy as being, as being cleansed. So that a leper was not healed or cured, a leper was cleansed. For leprosy was always associated with sin. And if there was the cleansing of leprosy, this leper had to go to the high priest, and the high priest examined him and pronounced him cleansed. And then he went through this rite of purification because leprosy was more than a disease. Leprosy was synonymous with sin. Now with this object lesson, Moses was taught the miraculous power of God. For this leprosy happened instantly and it was cured immediately. And what God is saying to Moses is that God Himself has the power to heal or, or cause disease instantly and immediately. God can bring about immediate cure, and He can bring about immediate disease. But there's more here than the healing of a terminable, terminal, unhealable illness. If, if leprosy is associated with sin, now watch this, what God is telling Moses is that his mission into Egypt was more than the mission of a man. It was a divine mission. And what he's doing, really, and underneath this, this record and these, this account is a foregleaning of the, of the mission of His Son. Because what was going to happen in redemption was not just the purchase of a slave with a view to freedom. The ultimate redemption that was coming was going to be affected by His Son and it was going to be the cleansing of sin and release of it. Now I want you to turn, if you will, to the book of Mark. I want to look at verse two of chapter two of Mark. Just hold your place there, and and, and I'll begin reading at verse one. I read through twelve. Just follow with me in the Gospel of Mark. And when he Jesus had come back to Capernaum several days after, it was heard that he was at home, and many were gathered together, so that there was no longer room even near the door, and he was speaking the word to them. And they came bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And being unable to get to him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him, and they had dug an opening. They let him down the pallet on which the paralytic was lying. And Jesus, seeing their faith, said to the paralytic, My son, your sins are forgiven. But there were some of the scribes sitting there, reasoning in their hearts, Why does this man speak that way? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately Jesus, aware in his spirit that they were reasoning, that they may within themselves, said to, that way within themselves, said to them, Why are you reasoning about these things in your hearts? Which is easier? To say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, arise and take up your pallet and walk. But in order that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, 
I say to you, rise up, take, rise, take up your pallet and go home. And he arose and immediately took up the pallet and went out in the sight of all so that they were all amazed and were glorifying God, said, we've never seen anything like this. Now let me tell you what happened here. Jesus was healing this man, but before he healed him, he forgave his sins that incensed the Pharisees because only God alone could cleanse or forgive sin. Now, if God is getting ready to send a man to Egypt and He shows him in this object lesson that He has the power to forgive sin, that is, He has the power to remove the leprous hand and make it white, what He's telling him is this, that redemption's going to be effected with the divine miracle of God. And in the foregleaning of that, we see this image of Jesus who will one day come and bring life and cure and healing of sin. Now the second thing about this lesson of power is in this hand. Now the hand speaks of energy. Watch this. The hand is the instrument work the hand is, represents the energy of the flesh. The energy of the flesh. Now there is something tonight leprous about every work that's done for God in the energy of the flesh. There is something... I want you to, I want you to listen and, you know, and get this. I desperately want you to hear this. There is something awfully sinful about doing the work of God in the energy of man. Did you know that you can sin against God by doing God's work? I have a feeling that for a long, long time, I was sinning against God while I was doing God's work. For it never really came to me, you know, it, it, I had to be, uh, you know, several years into my pastorate before it dawned on me that to do the work of God in the energy of the flesh was a leprous and sinful thing. So that before the work of God can be done, the flesh has to be laid aside for anything that's done for God that is of value, it has, e has significance, and has eternity upon it, it must be done only in the energy and the power of God. And what he's saying, I think, in essence, is that this energy that we do in the flesh, this work we do in the energy of the flesh, must be put to death so that we can do the work of God in the energy of the Holy Spirit. That's where life is. There's a third lesson concerning the power of God. Did you catch it? I'm sure you already noticed it. That a leprous heart produces a leprous hand. Now, if the hand represents what we do, the heart represents what we are. And what we are in, in our heart produces what we do in our actions. Jesus said that. He said that out of the heart proceeds the issues of life. And it's just not possible for a person, 
for one to, to try to straighten up his actions if his heart is not right. Now, what we like to do is we like to work on a person's actions. We like to change the way a person acts. And we like to, we talk about turning over a new leaf. And I don't know how many people I've talked to have told me, well, I'm going to start living a different way. I'm going to start living a better life. And we, we go to work on the way we live, on the way we act. It's the changed heart that produces the changed life. And sometimes we want to we get these actions we do in, in lined up. And so we focus on the rituals and the rites and the right kind of uh, um, things to do in church and all that. We got it all down. We know the verbiage. We know the actions. Let me tell you, God doesn't look at the hand. He looks at the heart. And any action that's done from a heart that's not right with God, He rejects. For the acceptability of the gift is determined by the acceptability of the, of the giver. And when that heart is right, then the action will be right, and not until. This afternoon I had a, a conference with a young lady we were talking about some of the um, things that Baptists believe and, and um, uh, some of the things that Baptists hold as, as what we call doctrine, etc. And we got off to talking about the doctrine of security of believer, once saved, always saved. That, all, we all, that always happens. In any discussion, religious discussion uh, that I've ever been in, it always comes around to that. And we got to talking about, you know, how could that be that a person could be saved and then be always saved, regardless of, you know, their life. And in my belief, and what I believe strongly is, is that when God changes the heart, He will change the action of a person's life. And that lifestyle will be changed because of the changed heart, the changed nature so that he cannot go back and redo or live again the old lifestyle that he'd lived before. For the changed heart changes the action or the life. Now he says in verse 9, he says, but this, one last lesson with regard to the power of God. He said, if they won't believe these two signs that you're going to have, or heed what you say, then you shall take some water from the Nile and pour it on dry ground. And the water which you take from the Nile will become blood on the dry ground. Let me tell you what he's saying here. He said, the last and greatest sign to prove my power is that I will be able to demonstrate how that I can make life in the presence of death. For the one great demonstration of the sovereign power of God is that He is able to produce or to bring life out of the face of death. That's what Romans 1, 12 means when it says, or 18, that this is the final demonstration or the final evidence of the power of God that He was able to raise Jesus from the dead. 
That's a lesson concerning His power. Second, oh my word, they'll have a sign in one of these nights and hold it up on the time. I know it's coming. I, I'm, I'm, I'm paranoid. You guys have made me paranoid from now on. No telling what I'll see. I'll try to do this second one. We'll pick up the others later. There is a lesson concerning communication. Now I want you to get this. It's, it's, it's underneath just the record. Watch this. Then Moses said to the Lord, Please, Lord, I have never been eloquent. Would you take a pencil and underline this next statement? Neither recently nor in times past, nor since thou hast spoken to thy servant, for I am slow of speech and slow of tongue. Now, I've not read this in any commentary. Well, I was reading this in preparation for a class one day, and all of a sudden, it just uh, took a leap out of this page. What Moses is saying in implication is, Lord, I'm still, I still have a speech impediment. impediment. I must have one myself. <laughs> That's true. That lady was watching TV and said I had a speech impediment. It's right. <laughs> what Moses was saying is, is that I've always had this speech problem. I didn't, times passed. It hadn't changed not since you started talking to me in that bush out in the wilderness, even since you've been dealing with me in these days to get me in, into Egypt. You understand what he's saying? He's saying, Lord, if you want me to go to Egypt, why didn't you give me a, an eloquent tongue? He's saying, Lord, if you want me to do your work, why didn't you give me eloquence to do it? Why didn't you change the way I talk? Lord, if you want me to do your work, why didn't you make the conditions of doing your work better for me? You see what I'm saying? That sound like anybody you know. If I'm going to do your work, at least it'd be that you'd get me, make me a great speaker, an eloquent speaker, and you haven't done it yet. And you can just almost hear him say, I was ready to go down to Egypt. Man, I was ready. But you didn't give me eloquence. And you didn't change the conditions. And when the conditions are just right, I'm ready. Jeremiah said that the clay does not contend with a potter as to how he was made. And the implication in God's response is, the Lord said to him, who has made man's mouth, or who makes him dumb or deaf, or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? And the implication of God's response is this, quote, All the physical senses and the perfection of them are from the Creator, and so are the imperfections of them according to His sovereign will. And what that means is this, that God has made us just exactly the way we are because that's the best way we need to be in order for Him to use us. Has it ever occurred to you that the area of your life that you believe to be 
a handicap is the exact place where God can do His greatest work. I've got a book in my office called Strong at the Broken Places. It's the life story of a man by the name of Max Cleland. Max Cleland was in Vietnam. He stepped out of a helicopter onto a landmine and blew him apart. Literally decapitated him. And he tells his life story. He's from Georgia. Y'all may have heard him give his testimony. Wayne and him, I saw them responding. They knew him. He, was, he, he, he lived for months in these hospitals, barely hanging on to life. The long and short of it is that he became the director of the VA hospital. He did live under the Carter administration. He was director of the, v, the, the Veterans Administration. And, and he, he, he wrote this book, this title, because he, 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 he was quoting a quotation from Hemingway. Life breaks us all, and afterward, many are strong at the broken places. I need to say it again, that the place where you feel the weakest might be the very place where God could demonstrate His greatest power. And so I ask for strength that I might achieve. I was made weak that I might learn humbly to obey. I ask for health that I, know, that I might do greater things. I was given firmity that I might do better things. I ask for riches that I might be happy. I was given poverty that I might be wise. I ask for power that I might have the praise of men. I was given weakness that I might feel the need of God. Ask for all things that I might enjoy life. I was given life that I might enjoy all things. I got nothing that I asked for, but everything that I hoped for. Almost despite myself, my unspoken prayers were answered. I am among all men most richly blessed. It's a good thing he didn't take away his, his speech impediment, for that was the very thing he used. I need to give one more lesson, then we're out of here. It's a lesson about trust. And it's found in verse 14 and following. Then the anger of the Lord burned against Moses, and he said, Is there not your brother Aaron the Levite? I know that he speaks fluently. And moreover, behold, he's coming out to meet you when he sees you. You'll be glad, and he'll be glad in his heart. And you're to speak to him and put the words in his mouth, that, and I, even I, will be with your mouth and his mouth, and I will teach you what you're to do. Moreover, he shall speak for you to the people, and it shall come about that he shall be as a mouth for you, and you, you shall be as a God to him. A lesson about trust. Isn't it amazing that Moses was ready to go to Egypt when he found out another man would go with him. After all, God had promised to go to Egypt. Why does he need another man? And it pictures the weakness of most of us 
that we'll, tr- we'll trust one another before we'll trust Almighty God. And Jesus said, Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. There's not a single one of us here. If he went down to the bank tomorrow, his banker met him at the door and said, I know you're trying to do the work of God, you've got bills to pay, and you're, you're not making ends meet, but I want you to know that I'm, on pay, I'm going to be the resource of every financial need you have. And any time you have a bill to pay, you just send it to me and I'm going to pay it. I'm going to take care of every bill you have. As long as you serve God, you're going to have all the money you need. And not a single one of us wouldn't do cartwheels. I mean, that's better than winning the lottery. We'd go out of that bank, pray. we'd probably kiss him, maybe on the mouth. We'd be so happy. But I'm here to tell you, that's God's promise to you from His Word. Now, why don't we believe it when God says it? All you need in life is to know that He's with you. That's His promise. And so Max Locato, Locato said that when they moved into the new neighborhood, he got his little four-year-old daughter one afternoon and said, Honey, let's go for a walk. And so they went out into the neighborhood. She'd never seen those houses. She'd never walked on their, those lawns before. She'd never pet those, dog, those dogs before. It was virgin territory. And as they walked along, he said to his little four-year-old daughter, Do you know where you are? She said, No. He said, Do you know how to get back to the house? She said, No. He said, You mean you haven't been watching? You don't know how to get back home? She said, No. He said, Well, why aren't you afraid if you don't know where you are and you don't know how to get back? And he said, she reached up and took me by the hand and said, because you already do. It seems to me that when God makes a promise that he'll be with us all the way to the end of the earth, there's nowhere we would ever fear to go. Let's pray together. Our Father, We thank you that you remind us of your power. Power to heal the unhealable, to forgive the unforgivable. And the power to use the weaknesses of our life and the inadequacies and the ability to take us by the hand and lead us through life. And we pray for the kind of faith that believes that and trusts you. For I ask in Jesus' name and pray it for his sake. Now there might be someone here tonight who wants to come and give his heart and her heart to Jesus. What a wonderful thing to see what happened here today, families, young people, um, giving public testimony of their faith in Christ. There might be someone here tonight who has never, for the first time, 
turn from his life, her life, to Jesus, to trust him. He has power to save, to change your heart. And the result of that changed heart is a change in the way you live. I promise you that. And maybe you need to come tonight to join this fellowship, this church. It is important to uh, identify with the followers of Jesus where they meet. Or maybe to rededicate yourself to Christ. While we stand to sing, we'll not, we'll not go through that, but us stands are too. So if you're coming, you'll need to do on the right, right on the first verse, stand to sing.